podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guest would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And today on the show, we have Fatima Palavan. Fatima is an attorney based in Illinois and Wisconsin. She helps entrepreneurs raise capital, capture intellectual property rights, and ground their professional relationships in strong contracts. Fatima delights in taking the intimidation factor out of law by educating her clients and giving them a sense of ownership over their legal tools. She spends a tremendous amount of time thinking about how to make the law more accessible and aims to design elegant solutions to entrepreneurs' practical problems. In 2018, Fatima founded Legal Intelligence to Entrepreneurs, also known as Light, a law firm devoted to providing proactive and holistic legal advice to social impact entrepreneurs. Fatima, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ethan. We are very excited to have you on here, Fatima. You've got this very cool business with Light Council, which we are eager to hear about, but we're going to save that toward the end of the episode. What we want to focus on now for the meat of the episode is a new business idea that you have. So let's start off by asking you to tell us about a problem that you're seeing in the world today. Sounds good. And I will preface this by saying it's not so much an idea I have as much of a complaint. <laughs> um, but really, it's it's an absence that I've discovered through my work. So I think that's probably a, a good place to start with it. As Ethan mentioned, I work with social impact entrepreneurs, which means that my clientele, by and large, are for-profit businesses. But they are not exclusively profit-driven. There's some social benefit element to what they do. Another very strong trend among my clientele is that they are generally people of color or women or both. My clients tell me consistently they feel that there's no clear path for them to get funding. And part of this, I think, is just because they face the same challenges that every entrepreneur faces. But what my clients tell me is that even beyond that, they feel they face a particular challenge when it comes to having meaningful conversations with people in the private investment space, be it venture capital or, or angel investors. And to be completely honest, in my initial conversations with people, my, my reaction was rather skeptical. I thought, yeah, join the club. I mean, it's difficult for anybody. Everybody has a hard time getting raising money. And that sort of just comes with the territory. And, and to a large extent, I, I still believe that. I mean, to the full extent, I still believe that. I don't think it's, any, it's easy for anyone to raise money. And I think anyone who's had a successful fundraise has, should be tremendously proud of themselves. And nothing in this conversation is meant to take that value away from them. That being said, what I found after digging deeper into this issue is that there really is something to what my clients are telling me, that the data shows explicitly that there's a complete lack of diversity in the private fundraising space. And really only the tiniest fraction of money ends up going to founders of color or female founders. So I suppose my next inclination after confirming that this, that this issue was measurable and real 
uh, was to sort of consider where this is coming from and why this is happening. And the answer, as it almost always is, is I think it's really complicated. I think there are a confluence of factors at play. Part of it is that the harsh reality is that the private investment space is not primed for diversity. And the data shows us that undeniably. But the other side of the conversation is I think a lot of founders are not positioning themselves optimally to enter the space and to benefit from the systems that are that are in place. And there are a lot of examples of this, but I think when it comes to venture capital in particular, those funds have to invest in businesses that are in high potential, high growth industries in order for their models to work. And female founders especially just aren't as strongly present in those industries. So many female founders launch businesses in the area of wellness and beauty and and parenting and child rearing. And there's tremendous value in that. But I think if we're going to have a very open and honest conversation about this, we need to acknowledge that we we need to be multifaceted in order to really have a strong presence in this area. And so I don't like to assign blame to anyone, but I think it's incumbent on everyone you know, who's involved in this issue to, to reflect and think about how they can optimally contribute uh, to a solution. But I think an ideal solution would acknowledge that this is simply symptomatic of a much larger cultural conversation that's going on. I think we absolutely have to recognize that we're having this conversation in light of the Me Too movement and in light of many parallel movements. And as fatigued as I think people are around those conversations, we can't pretend that that isn't happening around us. And also, I think an ideal solution would address both sides of the conversation and not necessarily simply tell one side over the other, you need to try harder. I think everybody has something that they can do a little better. And and the ideal solution to this problem would recognize that. So that's really the extent to which I've been juggling with this. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think that's um, what you just touched on there is, in my opinion, the the biggest challenge associated with it is we are operating within a framework that rewards pure capitalism mm-hmm. and the aspects that you bring up, both from a, a social enterprise and from minority and women founders, they don't neatly fit into a pure capitalistic model. Mm-hmm. We're not going to completely revamp capitalism here mm-hmm. on this call. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> let's take that off the table. <laughs> but in lieu of that, it's uh, it feels like a piecemeal approach and it feels like an uphill battle. Use whatever analogy you want. I can really feel that pain <laughs> of uh, you know, a woman and minority founder trying to do a social enterprise that's layering, <laughs> that's stacking two challenges on top of itself. Let's try and break this down a little bit further. Did you want to focus more on the social enterprise aspect or the underrepresented population aspect? I think they're innately correlated, but let's start with the underrepresented population aspect. Okay. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a VC who is looking for the next big business, the next Uber or Mm -hmm. uh, Airbnb, whatever. If you are a woman or minority founder coming to this person with an idea, what's a typical experience that you've seen? I'm not an expert in this field, but I think that 
overwhelmingly what venture capitalists take into consideration upon assessing a business is the industry that it's in, because some simply have the potential to give the million dollar payouts that funds need in order to be profitable. My understanding of the nature of that business is that really you make a handful of bets. You expect some of them to give modest returns. You expect some of them to give no returns at all. And then you expect one or two to just blow up and to be so explosive that they compensate for any losses. And over on top of that, provide profits to you and and your um, LPs. So first of all, I think that in, in entering that sort of conversation, an entrepreneur has to be cognizant of the fact that that profit is, is king. And, and so I've wondered, and I do wonder, whether venture capital truly is the solution. Because as you point out, Chris, it's it's hard to turn that ship around. You know, it's it's built on the premise that you get high returns and it's hard to make that system work without that. I am I am more inclined to advise my clients to search for angel investors because I think that you have a when you're working on an individual level, one person to one person, there tends to be a more nuanced conversation going on. And also you might find a ben- an angel who is is on board with you not seeking to maximize profit. One thing that pops right out to me, well, there's a couple of things. Uh, one is the Indie Hackers mm-hmm. website and podcast, which uh, which Chris and I pay attention to um, and find a lot of value in, which kind of shares a lot of conversation around this topic of just like this VC story, this like romantic story of getting VC funding. You know, people are sort of asking themselves, wait a second, who who came up with this story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's kind of a raw deal, you know, to to business business people sometimes, right? Especially if you're not the if you're not the unicorn, you know, you kind of just get tossed aside. So there's that. So there's a world that's sort of growing um, where people are are taking the reins and making this stuff work. And an, and another th- project that actually addresses this kind of thing that I've heard of recently is called um, Indie VC. Mm-hmm. I actually heard about them on an Indie Hackers podcast. And I remember the the guy who was representing the the firm, but they basically what they do is they they don't look for the unicorn unicorns. They're they're small they're funding operations that seem profitable more immediately but maybe not such a huge explosion, you know, mm-hmm. and they give them some mentorship and some coaching and maybe they give them a hundred thousand dollars, but they also don't try to control things and they don't try to like tell them what to do. They give them autonomy, you know, which is kind of nice for some of this independent business owner. But one thing that stands out in, in exactly this conversation is that not because anybody was trying to make this. So the guy was saying one of their most successful businesses was run by a minority female. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting story to me that there there's there's just it's just a fact that there is a place for this mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what goes on in this this scenario where the times are changing is that there actually is an untapped it's literally an untapped market because of ignorance, you know, in the market. Um, people don't believe that there's something of value there and it's just sitting there, you, you know, to be tapped, not to make it too transactional either, yeah. but there's definitely something here. And there's to Chris's question about what do you say to a VC? You know, the answer may be is see you later. <laughs> and then maybe there's an alternative, like you said, angel investors and 
this type of thing. And maybe the, the project that we're trying to come up with here is something where there's to foster those connections, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and get people together who, who want to work together on these type of projects, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To your point about the untapped market, not only is there a tremendous potential here, but I think also what sometimes we take for granted the fact that, that there is so little diversity in leadership and business really limits our options as consumers. I mean, there's a reason that for years and years and years, bras always clasped in the back. It's because it was designed by a man and who didn't have to put one on and take one off every day. You know what I mean? And, and having more voices in the marketplace gives us better products. And I think the, the data shows that as well. To another point you made, Ethan, it's it's true that I've, I've heard the horror stories about VCs taking over businesses and having toxic relationship with founders. And I do feel the need to to just say this as a disclaimer that it's my belief that VC money isn't appropriate for every business and certainly certainly not for every stage of business. It's my personal philosophy that I think a lot of entrepreneurs say, I need money. I'm going to go look for a VC because I'm broke. And that's not the time you want VC money. VC money is jet fuel. So it's when you have proof of concept and you just want to expand, expand broadly and expand quickly. That's when you tap Mm -hmm. into the VC. And it's interesting to me that you mentioned that there are these these firms emerging that have a much more tempered approach than is traditional because in talking to people in my field and in, and in the VC industry, my understanding is that the, the world in the Valley is completely different and it's so much more normalized to throw money at early stage ven- ventures and just and hope for gobs and gobs of return. And that VCs actually have difficulty planting roots in the Midwest because the mid- Midwestern mentality is not... Is, is much more reserved generally. So when you say that, that like, for example, Indie VC takes a, doesn't look for the crazy returns that necessarily a, a firm in the Valley might, it, it raises the question in my mind, is the Midwest perhaps the best, like the most fertile grounds for growing this new variety of venture capital model? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting idea to percolate. I have a friend, his name is Jay Klaus. He runs a podcast called Upside.fm and they focus on uh, venture capital outside of Silicon Valley. He interviews founders from all across the country. That could be a cool resource to check out. We'll link to that in the show notes. I'm thinking of um, how we continue painting the picture here of opportunities available One thing that came to mind as you're describing what VCs are looking for is let's think of ways that we can also help women and minority founders play the game that already works for VCs. So I think that there are plenty of business ideas out there and, and starting businesses that would be appealing to VCs, but women and minority founders maybe need to tell the story a little bit more thoroughly in order to... Uh, explain it to people who typically are VCs because they don't have that shared experience that the uh, founders are are starting with. I don't mean to put all the weight on on the founders. I think that there's also an opportunity for mm-hmm. VCs to bring people onto their team who have some of those other shared experiences where they can understand these businesses earlier on and jump on board and make a lot of money, again, within the existing framework. So, I think that there's there's probably a subset of ideas that that still belong to VCs and there's some work that we could do to help make those happen. I think that 
as you guys have been talking about for a while, there's still maybe a, even a larger portion of ideas that don't belong to that typical world of VCs, that they should be going to angel investors or or even VCs outside of Silicon Valley. So I, I think that there there's a lot of opportunity here to help. Are we at a point where there's a kind of a defined idea that we want to put forward and and say, let's talk about getting that started? Or is there anything from, from you, Fatima? Or what are you thinking? You know, Ethan and I had this initial conversation before the podcast took place where we sort of ideated a little bit on this concept. And where we landed, I think, is a good starting point, which was we thought, what if there was some sort of platform that was created to marry social impact entrepreneurs and angel investors who are empathetic to their causes. And I still really like that idea. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, I think there needs to be a human component to it. And by that, I mean, I think there are so many platforms out there that probably seek to do this already and do it fairly well. Um, I have some ideas about what I think needs to be integrated into a platform to make it really, really effective. But I, I'm of the mind that there really is no replacement for human connection. And, and maybe a platform that had a counterpart where people met in person might be a little more effective than something simply living in the cloud or living online. Do you envision, for example, right now we're meeting via via a video chat and, and audio chat. And I'm just curious on your perception of how much you would want to incorporate something like that or bypass it because, you know, just literally sitting down and, and having lunch and having a pitch or having a conversation is actually even more powerful than, you know, a video chat or something like that. I think one-on-one -on -one real connection is always ideal, but I think there's certainly a place for this kind of communication. And I always come back when I think about these things in the back of my mind, I think of courtship in general. You know, I don't think, I really don't think the relationship between a founder and an investor is that much more different than a, than a husband and wife or a wife and wife or whatever it might be. Because I think that there has to be a fundamental value exchange. It can't simply go in one direction. Both parties have to be excited, find the other party really sexy. So maybe what we're thinking in terms of this platform might be better shaped as almost a matchmaking service. And maybe there's a mm -hmm. place for like building up the relationship where maybe you have the opportunity for one party just to message the other and, um, and, and then maybe grow the relationship and meet in different formats or mediums as they see appropriate. But what's different, I think, in, in the world of dating and the world of courting investors is that there are such serious monetary implications. And um, so I think even when we first spoke, I, I thought like a service that did this sort of thing, this matchmaking, I think it should have a component where there's some sort of standardization of the documentation that's used to to really establish the relationship between the, the founder and the investor. What do you think about that? I love your instinct of humanizing things. And I was even just listening to my own question and thinking, this is a common issue that entrepreneurs have mm -hmm. is, and again, it's almost like the VC thing. There's just this, this like idea floating out there that's very strong in the ether that says, make an app, you know, make a computer, yeah. make a website. 
And, you know, to be honest, there's so many people that are making apps and websites and whatever that are completely useless. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of these things that actually do work, if they are going to work, they need to start on a grassroots human to human level. And that's what entrepreneurs are not <clears throat> realizing uh -huh. because they just think, let me program this and put it out there. And they have no connection to what people actually want. And then you, you, you see that people who do that, maybe then they go back and then they start having conversations with actual potential clients and actual people and sitting down with them. And that's when their business starts to grow. So it's actually a very good instinct. And I would say really leads us, will lead us well into how somebody can get this started. And the, and the fact of the, the matter will be, we probably should talk about how you can do this, how you get this started with just, you know, hanging out with people, mm -hmm. showing them things in person, uh, you know, helping it's documentation, but you present it to them, you know, you, in, you interact with them, you engage with them, you get them prepared um, and you introduce them, you know, maybe you even take the VC and the, you know, the, the business owners out to lunch all together. Mm -hmm. Right. And by doing these things and having these interactions, that's what builds the business and helps you understand what's needed, what's valuable, how you can make money, how, how, how it's all going to develop. And if there were to be some app or some platform or whatever, that's way, way down the line. I mean, you're going to find uh, profitability and you're going to find viability by doing this in the human way. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. VCs typically have way more deals coming to them than they have time to sift through. So I do think that there is a market for someone who can build up that reputation to initially screen potential deals and then pass them along. And maybe they get a cut mm -hmm. from that and that's the, the business that they supply. And tying in that earlier component of women and minority founders, if you happen to be a woman or a minority, you may have a leg up in understanding the business models that other that this underrepresented group is coming to you with. So you may be able to better fill that position of, of matchmaker than uh, at least for mm -hmm. those groups. So that, yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea to play with. I like that a lot. Um, and just out of curiosity in your own experiences, in your own role here, uh, Fatima, have you played this role for yourself at all or come close or seen it happen? Or what's your experience with this particular situation? My experience is that I would like to be able to add more value in this way. I've spent, mm -hmm. my firm is about a year and a half old now, and I've spent all of that time surrounding myself with entrepreneurs and trying to give value to entrepreneurs. And just a little backstory. When I initially launched my firm, I thought I would focus on intellectual property exclusively. And it was only by demand that I found that my my clients needed money, my clients needed help navigating this process and understanding when it was appropriate for them to take money and under what circumstances. And so I've had to educate myself in that way. I was recently actually performing a self-assessment on myself and my firm and realized that there is there is a potential here for me to act as a connector, but I completely lack uh, a robust community on the other side of potential investors. And so one thing that's occurred to me is that, I mean, Chris, you mentioned this uh, originally, that there is 
the person who is drawn to a social impact business is sort of an atypical personality in that they're not the kind of person necessarily who would invest in LP in a, a venture capital fund. And they're not necessarily the kind of person who would invest in a nonprofit because there is some profit motivation there. In thinking about where do I meet these people? How do I create meaningful connections with these people? My thought was perhaps looking for nonprofits that were in areas that interested me and looking at their board members and and perhaps just asking those people out to coffee and trying to get to know them and, and understand them a little better. So maybe that would be a great place to start. I think we all kind of innately understand what the motivation of the entrepreneur is in this dynamic, but there's this huge gaping hole that I have in understanding the psychology and the motivations of the specific kind of investor on the other side. And so maybe this grassroots roots approach of just selecting board members as case studies might be a good place to start. Yeah. And I think that that, that also kind of leads us to the question of what is this business, you know, and, and is it a pro, is it a profitable business? I, we could also talk about, is it some sort of a, a non-for-profit as well? Mm-hmm. And maybe this type, this project falls into yeah. the same category that we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but it will be interesting to, um, so put that out there and we can talk about it a little bit. Like, where does the money to help run this organization come from? And it it could come from the investors. It could come from the the business owners. It could come from just, I guess, the deal, which which sort of maybe comes from, depends on how you look at it, who it comes from. So for example, if a certain amount of money is raised, there's just a percentage that's taken mm-hmm. by the, the business. Mm-hmm. The, do we have any thoughts, uh, any of us, like on who would be giving money and where would it come? If we thought about that model of we are going to play the matchmaker, then I think with that introduction, there are established business models where you take a percentage of that, right? If you're, if you're selling a business and you're using a business broker, it's common that you're going to pay them on a commission basis mm-hmm. for the sale of it. So very similarly, I think that maybe it's less common. And I think, Fatima, you had a uh, an idea for how you could do this in a way that doesn't upset the initial investors. You Mm. wrote a percentage of first raise. Mm -hmm. It captures the upside and does not dilute a company's cap table. Mm -hmm. So that could be an interesting approach. It's a little bit longer term than some of the the other ideas that we've had on the podcast. You're not getting paid immediately, but potentially have a much higher return. I really like the idea of of the matchmaker. I think that there is a gap in the market between a lot of ideas that are outside Silicon Valley and venture capitalists not having enough time to sift through them or maybe even the the background to understand the value that's being provided. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you know of Fatima, and this may not be the case, but is there any advantage for, for investment firms to, you know, outside of the profit motive, to be engaging with and investing in sort of do good businesses or businesses that have a a, a social mission. Um, I guess there's always like the B Corps and things like that, um, that it's very explicit what's going on. But I don't know, are there any incentives or any sort of government assistance or grants or incentives around this for investors? Uh, A couple things come to mind. The first is there are a lot of freestanding venture capital firms that are only that. And there are a number of venture capital firms that exist as offshoots or as sort of departments of existing corporations. 
like American Family Insurance, for example, has its own venture capital arm. And I think that those in-house venture capital firms have an incentive to have sort of a social, maybe a like a, a specific social benefit fund because it reflects mm-hmm. very positively on the organization that right. sponsors it. So to the extent right. the corporation is interested in garnering that public goodwill, I think there's an incentive mm-hmm. there. The other thing mm-hmm. um, that's not necessarily as as direct, I think, but but still has a place somewhere in this conversation is this idea of opportunity zones. There is legislation that permits for certain tax incentives if there's investment focused on certain areas of the country that have been deemed opportunity zones or areas that aren't as developed and would benefit from many money being funneled into them. So that perhaps that's another angle to take into consideration. Right. The reason I'm asking is because I have an intuition that there's some sort of, there could be some sort of uh, motivation or would not be out of the question to have a firm or an investor actually pay sort of a subscription fee to an organization like Mm. this because they're not just sending them deals, but they're putting together things and and acting as this filter that Chris is talking about. So it's like, oh, listen, I don't have to think as much. I don't have to do as much research. I can count on you to bring me so many deals in this this, uh, category, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe I, I need to do, maybe I'm a corporation that wants to do some social impact investing Mm -hmm. to have a better image in the community. And so I don't know where to find those people. And I'm going to pay a a monthly or yearly membership fee. You're going to bring me deals every quarter or every month. And I'm going to get to see what you have. And then if something goes through, then there's that other way of the organization making money through the success of the business and and the amount raised. That's fascinating, Ethan. And it it brings something to mind, which is that there is I'm I'm familiar with a firm that has sort of an atypical model in that they're not lead investors. It's called Alumni Ventures. And the one of the many ideas behind the firm, it's it's a really cool, really sophisticated model, is that they don't do as much due diligence as as a lead investor would um, when they invest mm-hmm. in businesses because they just follow established firms. So if Sequoia invests in this company, for example. They'll they'll add something on top of that, but they won't they won't necessarily invest independently. So one thing that just kind of comes to mind is, what if there was a firm that was focused on social impact, and sort of permitted other firms that were more profit driven to follow on, and sort of get the benefit of uh, being associated with these social impact companies, especially if they're successful. Right but not necessarily right. having to go all in and create an entire infrastructure around being able to invest in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost the reverse. Yeah. Talking about instead of the smaller guys uh, jumping on with the bigger guys, it's kind of like the bigger guys coming in, jumping on with this social impact area yeah. and ideas that, that are, that are percolating and making a lot mm-hmm. of sense. I mean, definitely from a, from you know the PR standpoint, I definitely think there's a value to be gained here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how how it implements itself, but um, and you you know I've been to a few conferences in in say the uh, environmental space or something where you know cor- large corporations are attendees and 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 you can see that there's they have these almost mandates you know whether it's from the employees or the government or some some activist with on the board or whatever it is. 
there's these sort of mandates that they're driven to fulfill mm-hmm. on and they need an mm-hmm. outlet. And so, you know, they got to go to work totally. on it and get it done. Totally. Let's start talking a little bit about some specific action steps that people can take. I loved your idea, mm-hmm. Ethan, of a subscription model. And I really like overall this idea of playing the connector, the matchmaker. It seems like it's not a very capital intensive business mm-hmm. to be a matchmaker, but mm-hmm. it does require some connections that you'd have to build. And those connections would be predicated on you knowing what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine. So, <laughs> I'm picturing as as Ethan, you were sharing. I'm picturing this uh, weekly email with the top five deals that we've seen, the v- potential venture deals that we've seen mm. uh, this week or this month, and you send it to Sequoia and uh, Lowercase Capital and and all these people who have subscribed to your newsletter. They get access to uh, to that tip earlier than, um, and maybe exclusively than, uh, than everyone else out there. So I think that that would, uh, that would work pretty well. And that would be very appealing if you were, if you did have a keen eye for, for good businesses, the mm-hmm. challenging part of that is maybe developing the relationships with, uh, with the big partners and thinking about that, just, um, thinking out loud, if you were to get someone, if you were to get one of them, you have a good shot at getting almost all of them, right? If you were to say, mm-hmm. Sequoia Capital is subscribed to our newsletter that shares the top deals that are still looking for investment dollars, you're going to get a bunch of other VCs that are going to jump into that because of FOMO. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes, how do you incentivize one of these companies to uh, to listen to you, to pay any attention whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You can give them a share. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, something that comes to mind is is supplementing something like that with maybe a show a showcase event that's exclusive in some way. You know, I think the ideal team to put together for a project like this would be someone in my position who's sort of integrated into the social impact community, and then a partner who has more connections in the realm of the capital raising. And sort of perhaps each of us picking and choosing a select few that we think are real winners, and then bringing them together to a very intimate event to meet each other and see if any sparks fly. And maybe that could you know, like you said, uh, Chris, this is a long, this is a long game because you have to not only wait for the relationship to really flourish, but you have to wait for the hopeful payout at the end of the day, however many years later. So um, in terms of monetizing it in the meantime, that's a challenge, but maybe the answer is just to keep it small, keep it intimate. And like you said, just work to get those one or two allies that stick with you and, and, and others will follow. I haven't done this per se, but I sort of have. And, <laughs> and so I basically, I was going to say it's relatively easy to do X, Y, Z, right? <laughs> um, and I sort of have done it and haven't. And I can, I can explain a little bit about that. But I will say that I've seen it. You've seen this pattern or I've seen this pattern over and over again, that to bring people together, you actually don't even need as much expertise if those people that you're bringing together each have their expertise that they can share with each, mm. with each other, you know? And so it's a very powerful way 
to get involved in the community and basically provide value from nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of like, I've got nothing. How can I provide value? Oh, I can bring people together that need to need to get together. Mm-hmm. You got to have some confidence. You got to have some pomp and circumstance, mm-hmm. if that's the right word around it, to, to kind of drum it up and make sure it's not uh, the fire festival. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that happens all the time, you know, that, that events are created around just bringing people together and getting the right people on the list. And then they, and then everybody wants to go. And I'll say, I haven't done live events, but I've, I have a current business project that's like that. I know something about the industry I'm working in, but I connect instructors with students and I let the instructors have the expertise. And uh, my expertise is just to be the one who's there connecting and facilitating. You know, everybody's thrown some kind of party before, you know, right. and that's kind of <laughs> what's going on. You know, you just try to throw a good party. So. That could this is why I'm terrified of starting this project because no one will come to my party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have a party, I'll come. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think that that could be some steps to take. Yeah, you know, is to organize an event, and I'm imagining like social in uh, social impact investing for corporations. Let's say, mm-hmm. right? And you inv- you invite somebody from Procter and Gamble and you know, a few other large corporations and they've got some of the, a lot of times they have somebody on staff that's in charge of that kind of thing. And they have to go to conferences and events and stuff anyways. Mm-hmm. And then you invite some social impact entrepreneurs and, you know, you, you put something together that's interesting and, and it's in the smallest uh, level. It's just people talking yeah. and presenting on, you know, where they've been and where they're going. And at a larger level, you organize more to it, you know. This is another random tactic that I'm going to throw in there. If you can get into, if you can be the go-between between someone like Tim Ferriss and all the pitches that he gets, he he talks about how busy he is. And you tell Tim, you can get in front of someone like that and say, Tim, I will vet every deal that comes across you. I know you're overwhelmed with this. You can filter every deal that comes to you. Filter to me. I will provide you a summary every week of all the deals that you're getting so that you can quickly assess them. That could be another tactic to get started. Another thing that I was thinking is, uh, I I thought of the domain, practiceyourpitch.com. And you put it out there to entrepreneurs or people with business ideas and say, "You you can come here and for free, I will give you a critique of your pitch and tell you where you where you line up against all the other people that I've seen do this. And mm-hmm. if I think that your pitch is good enough, I will connect you with lowercase capital for, and these are the terms of it, percentage of first raise. Mm-hmm. Uh, along piggybacking your idea, um, Chris, it could be uh, something where you are filtering the deals that come in, even for a larger firm, you develop an agreement with them where they have some way of actually profiting from the deals that they turn down. And so it's like, it's a VC firm. They, they could only take deals that have a certain threshold, but they get a lot of, say, social impact deals that they just have to turn down. But they are pro- you know, but they look good. It's just like they have to turn them down. They don't meet their criteria. And then you create sort of like a... a secondary market. <laughs> a secondary market, you know? And so now you're not only you're playing the role of filtering for that, that firm, so you make sure that they get what they want, but you say, how about we have a deal totally above board where I take the things that you reject and I also filter those for another audience. And then they have 
maybe even just like a stamp of approval or something mm-hmm. that it was filtered by that company. It's just that they didn't fit their criteria. And it's it's because of social impact, you know, no, no, no hard feelings. But this, these are the social impact ideas that we think would be great. We just don't invest in those type of things. And anybody that that would that would want to, we think these are these are actually pretty great ideas and we'd love to support them. You could even charge for for that again, like charge subscription to for people to be able to access that type of information. I think that I think that we're going along the right lines. And I base basically the idea of the show here is that people are going to get out there and going to do something and take yeah. some action and be able to report back. And if they've gotten somewhere, then then great. And maybe we can move forward more. And I think we've got a few pretty good ideas on how to get started. And they sound actually kind of fun to me. They do. They do sound fun. <laughs> Whether or not you get anywhere, and that's a that's a good um, that's a that's a good sign of a good project, right? Like you could have fun doing it, whether it goes anywhere or not. So I'm just curious: is there anything else that we left on the table as far as uh, as ideas on how to get started? Is there anything anybody wanted to add? Or? I think we hit on the main ones. One one small thing that comes to mind: I've been reading a book recently called Brotocracy which discusses the the bro culture in Silicon Valley. And one of the things the book talks about is the fact that I think a lot of female founders don't necessarily seem as attractive for funding because by and large, the statistics show that men tend to be more generous in the way that they present themselves and their company's potential to investors than women do. And women are much more inclined to suffer from things like fraud complex so maybe whether it's this email list that's connecting or whether it's a, a live event that's connecting people, maybe having some coaching on the front end for founders and just sort of educating them on the fact that they aren't the only ones who feel like they don't know what the hell they're doing. And this is something not to be ashamed of and, and sort of maybe some methodologies on how to be more mindful of that in the way that they present, mm-hmm. which may make them more effective as presenters and ultimately make them more successful in their raises maybe something like that could be valuable. Yeah, I, I've heard this too, even more directly referred to uh, of as like women, maybe even minorities, I don't know. It's like literally not having the skill of BS. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a good kind yeah. of BS with the way that people have presented it. It, it might have even been the guy from Laura Case Capital I heard say that, but you have to be able to present the imaginary confidently, basically. Yeah. It, that, that's the best way to put it, right? <laughs> and because... You know, in in the best cases uh, where where you do BS well, is it it actually turns into something, right? Like, you know, the Apple started as BS and it turned into a company with iPhones, totally. and you know, and it's just a dream and an idea. And so, I think that that's a good and maybe even a secondary business too that you could do is just yeah. coaching of entrepreneurs on how to really pitch and present. And that, yeah. that could be like a coaching service or, or, you know, you get a percentage of the raise and, and things like that as well, because you, that's, it's a real value. I think you give a lot of value to people. Totally. They're going to see a financial return on there. There's a financial return on BS. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. I guarantee it. <laughs> or your money back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great place for us to to start wrapping up here. I think this is a yeah, Fatima. You've sent you've uh, shed light on a very interesting problem that people listening will be able to let percolate and and follow through on some of these ideas that we've shared with them. So, listeners, if you uh, are interested in this idea, we highly encourage you to act on it. That's what the entire purpose of this podcast is about: is to bridge the gap between people who want to be entrepreneurs 
and people who are entrepreneurs and help them get started with a new business idea. So that's what we're outlining here for you. If you do take action, email us at update at runwithit.fm. Tell us what you've done. Everyone who emails in will get exclusive access to a private Facebook group of people who also have taken action. So it's kind of, uh, you know, get to connect with other people who are, are go-getters. And one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session with Fatima and potentially a business partnership on, on this idea that we're talking about here. Fatima, thank you so much for your time here. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. What would you like to share with our listeners about your existing business or anything else? Uh, this is the part I've given the least thought to, which isn't good. <laughs> My law firm is in its early stages, but really what I'm passionate about is helping people, I think, reshape their communities. And so to the extent that you're interested in that also, I, I hope that you'll reach out to me. The primary mechanism by which I, I network and get to know new people is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there. Um, if anything I've said has resonated to you and if you would like to learn more about my law firm, like. Cool. Great. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Fatima. It's been a pleasure having you on here and looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Thank you both. This was awesome. Now it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.